0: Hello, and welcome back to Across the States, the premier state policy podcast. It's great to have you back. I'm your host, Matt Fisher, and joining us today to discuss the issue of free speech and technologies, Alex Task Force Director for Communications and Technology, Jonathan Hohenchild. Jonathan, how are you doing today?
1: Well, thanks for having me. Doing really well. Still recovering a little bit from the Consumer Electronics Show and the euphoric high that you get from seeing all the emerging technologies, but, uh, you know, just really well. That's awesome to hear,
0: and I know that was in Vegas, so I know this podcast isn't quite as glitzy as Las Vegas, but I think we have a good time today discussing an, an important topic for so many online and across the country when it comes to the freedom of speech and beyond. So I remember a couple of days ago, you and I sat down, and you wanted to do this podcast, I as well, about the issue that emerged with Marjorie Taylor Greene. Now, we all know who Marjorie Taylor Greene is, U.S. Congresswoman from Georgia. Her Twitter account was permanently suspended. Her personal Twitter account was permanently suspended by Twitter for, as they say, dissemination of misinformation concerning COVID. Now, this comes after a long series of violations, according to Twitter, of Marjorie Taylor Greene's personal account and led to her ultimate suspension. So, Jonathan, a lot of her supporters are saying her First Amendment rights are being violated by Twitter. By permanently suspending her from the application, we are seeing her First Amendment rights violated. Now, I know you have a different view on this, and I'd like you to share with our audience because I think we need to hear more of this opinion. Share with us your wisdom on this subject.
1: Yeah, this is really, to me, a cut and dry question. But let's start with something very, very simple. Twitter suspended Marjorie Taylor Greene's personal account. If you go to Twitter right now, you can still read and follow her official House of Representatives account. So they made a decision on the personal side to suspend her. Now, a lot of what I've heard is that this violates her First Amendment rights, And that as a result, the platforms need to be broken up. And to me, this is based off a fundamental misconception. And that is that a citizen, whether in the government or not, has a constitutional right to access a private platform. You know, it's kind of law school constitutional law 101, that in order for the constitution to apply, the government has to act. And here, the government has not acted. Twitter is not the government. Twitter is a private company. Any social media platform right now of any size is not the government. It's a platform founded, developed by private parties. They formed a company, and they have their right. And actually, on the other side, because they're a private company, they have an absolute right to determine which speakers or content they're going to associate with or not.
0: So in the case of Marjorie Taylor Greene, she has the freedom of speech. However, because she's using a private company's platform, which has ownership over its own effectively wall, like just the same way a company that owns a flower shop might own its own building, the building for Twitter is its website and its own tweet deck, its own feed. And they have ownership of that. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, that's very much the case. One of the ways I kind of like to analogize the web and the social media platforms imagine a very huge outdoor mall around a square the square is the internet and you have an absolute right to be there to even set up your little tent and around this square are individual stores you can go into ebay which is kind of like i hate to put it this way one of those giant flea market buildings that's good description. <laughs> you have it's a very good flea market, if you want to put it that way. Very good flea yes. market. You have Amazon, which is, you know, part bookstore, part store, part grocery store. And then you have companies like Twitter and Facebook, places where people can come in and share news and content that's of interest to them within certain rules. And those stores are completely free to set the rules for whoever their customers are. You know, let's just take the actual physical mall. One of my favorites are outlet stores. Brooks Brothers, one of the stores that I frequent and hardly buy anything from because it's so expensive even at the outlet store, would be fully within their rights to kick me out if I went in and started very loudly promoting Joseph A. Bank or started promoting Gap. Or promoting one of the other stores in the, the thing there. Or even worse, just making an idiot of myself. Right. And no one would actually contest that because it makes it a better environment for their customers. It allows them to sell more product. You know, Twitter and Facebook are the same way. You know, they have their rules of conduct. You can't. Everyone knows you just can't come onto the platforms and say whatever you want to say. You have to operate within those rules. And because they're private companies, number one, they're free to set those rules. And number two, instead of providing someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene guaranteed access to the platform, it guarantees that if she violates those rules or anyone violates those rules, the platform no longer has to associate with them.
0: So the same if a florist at a flower shop, someone walked into their flower shop selling some product they had not approved and does not want on there. The same way that floors within their rights to call the police and have them removed, Twitter as well has the right to throw someone off that they deem violates their term of service, correct?
1: Correct. You can take the same analogy. If you're a uh, cake maker and you don't want to make cakes with a certain message on them because it conflicts with your religious belief, it's the same principle that applies. If you're a hobby supply store that doesn't want to for religious reasons, cover employees' birth control, it's the same reasoning. You know, you have a First Amendment right to associate or not with a speaker or content.
0: So these are obviously some misconceptions of the First Amendment that's being applied in the defense of Marjorie Taylor Greene. So when it comes to what she did, ultimately they have terms of service mm-hmm. on many of these social media sites. But What are some of the issues you see here with the social media sites that are kind of weaving themselves into these misconceptions of the First Amendment? What are some of these problems we're seeing with social media websites when it comes to their flaws? What needs to be improved? Why are we seeing, because clearly, as we all know, there are cases of misinformation where if you say something like the sky is red, that's clearly misinformation. But then I can recall the, the situation with the publisher Heroes of Liberty where Facebook banned them from, I believe, selling or marketing their books on the platform or using advertising dollars. And then they had to reinstate that right after it was temporarily banned, which caused an outrage. So clearly there's some miscommunication here in regards to corporate rights, freedom of speech, as well as misconceptions of the first amendment. So for our listeners, what are some of the flaws we are seeing on social media side pertaining to Marjorie Taylor Greene, pertaining to the heroes of liberty, pertaining to their own set of rules?
1: Yeah, well, let's start with a very simple proposition. Social media companies are not perfect and they make a lot of mistakes. Let's also start with another proposition. And I'll I'll use the term and then I'll explain. Content moderation at scale is very, very difficult. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's easy enough for people to see the effects of content moderation. They see Marjorie Taylor Greene being suspended they probably know someone who has received a strike or has received a warning from a social media company. I mean, I have. And as an aside on that one, it was a situation where I was being completely sarcastic and, you know, it reminds me of that line in Men in Black that we social media companies don't have a sense of humor that we're aware of. (laughs) But what it really means is that when you're looking at the scale that, social media platforms have to deal with. I mean, you're talking billions of tweets on a daily basis, if not an hourly basis. Hundreds of millions of status updates for Facebook every day, if not more. YouTube, the last statistic I saw is that there are 300 hours of content uploaded every minute. So, the platforms have to deal with that much content and ensuring that the content meets their standards on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour basis. And doing so is nigh-on impossible.
0: Right, because they've a limited number of employees and they have the entire yep. effective planet on their application. Yeah. And it's difficult to manage it all. Right, understandable.
1: And they have one standard that they have to apply in the United States, another standard that they have to apply in Germany another standard that they have to apply in Japan. So, you know, first of all, the content doesn't just come from the United States. It comes from across the globe. And they have to have teams that understand the rules and laws in each. So it's impossible to have eyes on every piece of content. So you have to use artificial intelligence. And this is where I think a lot of platforms get into trouble because artificial intelligence is only as good as the people who program it. and you can either be underinclusive or overinclusive. And I think when you're talking about the book publisher that it was an overinclusive situation. One of Facebook's long-standing, for example, policies is against inauthentic and spam behavior. That is probably last time I checked their transparency report, if not the most one of the most common reasons that they suspend accounts. And when you apply at least initially, the artificial intelligence, it could have detected some form of spam-like behavior. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying a hypothetical. It could have been. But that highlights one of the kind of errors is that they are over-inclusive. They do also seem to have a general problem with treating celebrities differently than the average person. I know this was a big to do. Oh, really? Favoritism for celebrities. Yeah. This was a big <laughs> deal a few months ago with Facebook when you know some documents were released that basically said, "Hey, we know we have these community standards, these terms of service." And again, I'm oversimplifying, but we have these standards. But when it comes to celebrities, we're going to give them a wider berth, and instead of subjecting them to the artificial intelligence, we're going to have people look over them. Hmm. So they kind of created a tiered system, even though they didn't disclose it in their terms of service.
0: So if you have a blue check, you'll probably have a more of a human review. Well, if you don't have a blue check, you're likely going to get AI checking your profile and an algorithm deciding whether or not you violated the terms of
1: service. Yeah, I think that's a little oversimplified, but I think you're generally right. You know, blue check marks now are almost becoming a dime a dozen. You know, if you have a blog, you get a blue check mark, it seems like. (laughs) 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 But generally speaking, and I would assume it's less the blue check mark and more a list of the appropriate celebrities. But again, that's pure hypothesis on my part. And I'm sure now that it's been made public, Facebook is remedying the situation because as an aside, Facebook's always been one of those that's at least tried. And when they're presented with a problem, they seem to try to to resolve it. But I think that's also all social media companies.
0: So Facebook's been pretty good in this territory, you'd say, even in spite of recent you know, complaints. you're saying that Facebook has done a pretty good job of having a consistent standard,
1: at least a trying to. Okay. And I would say as a general rule, most social media platforms, again, they haven't been perfect, but most social media companies have at least tried. Now it may be a little different in Twitter's space because, you know, it may be more attuned to who their audience is and their audience tends to be very, very far left. I know Pew late last year came out with a study that said if Twitter was a congressional district, it would be the most liberal congressional district in the country. Twitter is not the real world. Right. Twitter is pretty much a bunch of far left activists, a few of us that use it to follow news and, you know, some conservative personnel.
0: So Twitter has an awkward dilemma for like a business model where most of their customers are of the far left or very progressive ilk. And therefore, look, they're a business. They have to make money. They want more users. They want more traffic. And the majority of their business and traffic is coming from the left. Therefore, there is some level of incentive then to at least regulate some speech from the far right.
1: And that can pose some problems, I assume. Yeah, that can pose some problems, but it's something that just people should be aware of. Absolutely. You know, generally, when I look at something... Advertisers are a great way to, if you will, moderate content, make it sure it's not too far left and not too far right. I think advertisers have done a great job in making sure, for example, YouTube has remained balanced. I think, you know, in addition to Zuckerberg's commitment to kind of keeping the platform as open as possible, but I also think that's one of the reasons why Facebook has remained relatively neutral it is a little concerning for me with like Twitter, because again, the advertisers come to it knowing it's far left. So I don't know if that moderating influence is going to be there, but at the same time, you, you see that at the very least, those on the right are trying to create alternatives. Right. And that's really kind of the, the solution to everything here is create alternatives. But the thing is you cannot create a carbon copy and then say, but it's for the right, you know, the, Reason why, for example, Facebook displaced MySpace is Facebook was a much better platform for people to connect on. To
0: right. It
1: provided benefits and it provided a system that people wanted. So it's not sufficient to create a carbon copy. It's a if you're going to create something that is a little more neutral or a little more to the right, and you want people to join it, it's going to have to have a benefit other than we're not going to moderate your content or we're going to moderate it less. Right. So
0: looking at the, you know, obviously there's some problems here in regards to the social media companies. I think the Heroes of Liberty situation with Facebook was a particularly glaring instance. Now, in fairness to Facebook, as we said, they've been pretty good on this, but they did backtrack and they did allow Heroes of Liberty to readmit its publishing and promotional content. But again, Heroes of Liberty was not some far right Proud Boys website. They were writing books about Ronald Reagan, Amy Coney Barrett, they were writing books about Thomas Sowell, individuals who are easily well within the mainstream of decent, honest dialogue in American politics. So when it comes to the flaws of social media, there are clearly issues here. As you said, there aren't uniform laws across all of social media, depending on the country, depending on, you know, each individual platform. Obviously, there is some action needed here. Now, what kind of action would be appropriate? From the federal government and from the state government, what would be the appropriate action that would apply in a situation like this that can actually help make the internet better, instead of proceeding off false or faulty grounds of the First Amendment being violated, et cetera, et cetera? What are some correct ways they can address these problems, lawmakers, without actually violating the intent and spirit of the Constitution while still protecting the right of people to express their opinions?
1: Yeah, well, I think the the first thing is we kind of need to move off this idea of regulating content you know you you can't have texas and florida say thou shalt carry lack of better term conservatives obviously for constitutional reasons they didn't come out and say it but the courts cited the signing statements or some of the promotional statements made by governors and the sponsors of the bills right so you have to move off the idea of trying to force the platforms to carry content i mean again Once you have a government, a state government, saying thou shalt carry, you start infringing on the platform's constitutional rights. But, you know, taking kind of off the policy hat and putting on the legal hat where I have some questions, and that would be within the terms of service and within the community standards. Gotcha. Most platforms, for example, at least all that I've come across, incorporate by reference their community standards. And I know Facebook's been pretty good about publishing their community standards and even publishing the decisions of their oversight board helping to interpret their community standards. YouTube's been pretty good about publishing their community standards, at least the last time I checked. But my statement would be they're among the best. There are platforms that only really have summaries of their community standards, and some don't really even for practical intents and purposes publish them. And from a contract standpoint, this is a particular problem because if you're going to incorporate them by reference, even if people don't read them, they have to be able to read them. Right. So I I would say, at least from the state perspective, it's at least worth looking into that aspect.
0: So reevaluating the terms of service and the community standards contracts and making sure that they're evident and visible and understandable for all.
1: Yeah. I was going to say then there's an aspect of transparency. Because anyone who's tried to read through any of the terms of service of these platforms have trouble. And I'm saying I have trouble. And I'm saying that a lawyer who should be used to and able to read many of these terms of service and understand them
0: and the problem. You shouldn't have to be an attorney to understand what you're getting into on a website.
1: Correct. You should not have to be an attorney. But even then, as an attorney, I find aspects of the terms of service to be incredibly dense and I do not understand it. So there might be a role in ensuring that people understand what they're getting into. Again, this is not trying to mess with the business of the platforms, not trying to do this, but just to help both the platform and the people understand what they're getting into. And I would actually argue that this is something that platforms should lead on. And a particular role for states may be a convening power where they can convene the social media platforms along with representatives from the attorney general's office and consumer protection representatives and try to hammer out some sort of understanding about how this can be done. Even if that's just rather than replacing the terms of service, providing a summary of the terms of service or the important parts of the, the terms of service, what it might mean for the community standards. Because there's a you know, while arguing for transparency, there's also a recognized balance. People need to know or at least have the ability to read enough of the community standards to understand what they can and cannot post.
0: Yeah, on the content creation side, especially.
1: Yeah, on the content creation side especially. But you also don't want to post so much of it that bad actors can read it and understand where the limits are. Right. And abuse that system. And another particular problem that I have seen is the decision to apply a lot of the community standards in a retroactive fashion. Hmm. Some of it I understand. I think the shooting in Christchurch is a perfect example. A lot of social media platforms did not have a community standard on live streaming murder, (laughs) acts of violence. Right. Well, they created them and then went back and removed them. That's perfectly fine. But I'll take Twitter as an example. Twitter did not have a standard on election information or misinformation in late September when Trump tweeted out that the election could be stolen. You know, regardless of whether you think it happens or not, he tweeted that. Five days later, they came out with this new election information misinformation standard and a couple of days later applied it to him retroactively. It's worth noting that at the time he posted it, he did not violate the Terms of Service of the Community standards. And I hmm. think there's an open question as to whether platforms can actually do that, you know, in the, in the gray areas. Again, you have Christchurch, which right. is, to me, a black and white issue. And I think most of society is going to agree. Promoting the killing of other people's bad. okay? Right. But posting an opinion about a future event.
0: In a hypothetical saying, it could yeah. happen, not necessarily that it is being. Killed.
1: Right, right. So I I think there's some area where states could, I don't want to say explore uh, regulation because that's the wrong, I think that's the wrong approach, but have or encourage open discussions with the social media platforms and the consumer protection arms of their governments.
0: Right. Well, this has all been incredibly interesting, Jonathan. This is a really fascinating topic, especially in light of what we're seeing online. More and more of the world relies on the web. And the work that you're doing here at the ALEC Task Force of Communications and Technology could not be more vital. Jonathan, thank you for joining us today on Across the States. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thanks for having me.
0: And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. It's been great to have you on with us. Be sure to tune in again next time for more Across the States. Thank you for listening to Across the States, the leading state-focused policy podcast presented by the American Legislative Exchange Council, the premier free market organization of and for legislators. To learn more about our work or to make a tax-deductible donation, visit alec.org. Tell us what you think on Facebook and Twitter at Alex States. The views and opinions expressed on Across the States are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official
1: policy or position of the American Legislative Exchange Council.